Hello, Salon Sleuth fans. My name is Melissa and my co-host is Leslie. We decided we wanted to share our salon stories. We both have an interest in crime stories and a fascination with the psychic world. So settle in each week as we share another story with you. Who knows, you might even learn something. I was just on my Facebook page and I follow the NDE page. N-D-E, National Dead something? <laughs> Near Death Experience, close. Oh, oh, yes, okay. And this woman says that every time she, like, she burns out her cell phones, light switches stop working, all uh, small electronics stop working, and then you start reading all the posts and they're like, oh, it happens to me too. This one guy has to get a new phone every six months. What? Yeah, so I'm going to have to research that thing a little bit. Because that's pretty interesting. I did comment, hey, this sounds like a really interesting thing. Anybody want to do a Zoom call? <laughs> um, and then I'm just waiting to get kicked off that page for saying that. But um, no one has replied yet. But I thought that was really kind of an interesting thing, especially if it happens to multiple people. Yeah. Um, well, I have a I was friend trying to... who claims that about watches. She actually doesn't wear them anymore because they used to just always freak out. And she had problems in like her office with her computers. I don't know if she still has the problems, but she had them, had them like in the nineties. That's really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. She stopped wearing a watch <laughs> and she's just okay with it. Just cause they stopped working. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, that, that happens to me. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, well, I think you have something you want to share with me today. I was going to say, hello, Leslie. How are you? Hi, Melissa. How are you? I know. I feel like I just saw you. Oh, you wait. did. We did. <laughs> we saw each other today. That thing we did today. Yeah, that was fun. That's fun. Well, hello, Salon Sleuth listeners. It's Leslie and I again. And I have a story for you, Leslie. It is about Michael Frankie. I have actually been thinking about this case for probably four months. I started listening to a podcast called Murder in Oregon. You recently started listening. What do you think? It's really good. Yeah. They're good. And they're very detailed. Very detailed. Very detailed. I think they're like professional yeah, they're not us winging it. They're they actually kind of know what they're doing. Yes, yeah, and it's like a what seven part series or something. It's quite a few episodes about this case. So I'm gonna like give you the shortened version because awesome. I know you're you're only part way through the first episode, right? Correct. Okay. They're like 45 minutes to an hour long, and there's what six of them. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Yep. Yep. Okay. So here's the story of Michael Frankie and kind of the conspiracy that was going on in Oregon back in the 80s. Michael Frankie had been a key player in New Mexico. He'd been a judge and then he really reformed their prison system. And Neil Goldschmidt actually hired him to come to Oregon and to clean up the prison system. There were lots of little things that were going on, but Neil knew that something other, something big was happening kind of in the, in the prison system. So 
Mike Frankie was brought here and hired and he really didn't give a shit. He was kind of a, a badass. He, he wasn't afraid of much. He was kind of a big guy. Um, he'd been in corrections a long time. So he just really didn't, he didn't subscribe to that Oregon good old boys club. He didn't care if this is the way things had gone and been done for years and years. He was hired to do a job and he was going to do it. And he, uh, in January of 1989, I'm going to start with the crime and then I'm going to kind of work backwards. But in 1989, he was actually stabbed to death coming out of his office at the dome building. Now, the problem was, is that this stabbing was really quickly ruled a burglary, but there were a lot of things uncovered that didn't align with burglary, but it was clear that everybody just wanted to like wrap this thing up. They wanted to put, find somebody at fault for it. And his brothers and a reporter named Phil Stanford actually became huge, huge um, vocal pieces in this to say, hey, this isn't right. And they actually did, um, we'll talk about that, but he, they did end up prosecuting somebody. But a couple things about the car before we move on is it was a state car. It had a state-of-the-art alarm system. There was nothing disturbed in the car and there was nothing taken from the car. In fact, he didn't keep much in the car. So, and it was in the back of the building. It was the only car back there. So the fact that somebody would be going back to like loot cars or steal cars really didn't make sense because it was like late in the evening after he had a late night evening uh, meeting there and there were no other cars. So why you would just go back there to steal that car really didn't make a whole lot of sense. The other thing is they didn't find any blood near the car. It was all at least a hundred feet away from the car. But the car door was open, the dome light was on, and so they started looking for him, couldn't find him, because I, I can't even remember why they started looking for Michael Frankie, but they, they started looking for him. Oh, they saw the car. That's right. They found the car. Somebody found the car and were like, okay, where is he? What happened to him? So they kind of look around. Well, it's not till later, like hours later, that the janitor finds him where he had basically staggered back to the dome building and was down kind of, as they describe it, down these stairs of the dome building to a back door that he used. And his body was down there, which is a little sus anyways, because like, why didn't they look more? Like, it seems like you would have been a little more freaked out about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so that was like the car scene. Well. People in the law enforcement just immediately said this was a burglary gone wrong. His brothers got involved and said, no, this wasn't a burglary, burglary gone wrong. We think there's something to this. Oh, his briefcase was stolen too from, from him. That was the only thing. He had told his sister-in-law a couple days prior to this that he was going to have a big meeting with a legislation and quote unquote, heads were going to roll some people were going to be cleaned out. So he had uncovered something. Well, so after all of these years, what we have learned is there was a huge drug problem going on in the prison system. There were drugs coming in and out. 
guards were making money on those things. Um, there were other things like you mentioned going on as well that were little kind of petty misdemeanors, but there was a huge drug problem and, and huge corruption to kind of keep that old boys system kind of going. I think the, I don't really understand it, but I think the guards were actually making money on the drugs as well. So they quickly ruled it a burglary and they actually found a local man named Frank Gable. And they immediately tried to pin it on him. Frank said, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. He admits he had a heroin problem. He got high a lot. You know, he was, he was having a hard time, but he immediately said, you know, I didn't do this, but he didn't get a lawyer. And what do we know about not getting lawyers? What do you mean? What do we know about not getting a lawyer? Yeah. Get a lawyer. Like you do not want to go pick, you know, move on with anything if you don't have a lawyer. So he didn't get a lawyer. Well, unless you're totally innocent and you're like, there's no way I'm going to be in trouble for this. Well, so here's the problem. He didn't get a lawyer because he knew he hadn't done anything. He knew there was yeah. no evidence against them. But guess So what? he's probably thinking they're not going to find anything. I wasn't even involved. So why get a lawyer is kind of my thought of yeah. why you wouldn't get one. Yes, exactly. But guess what? He needed one. He needed one because he just spent 30 years in jail. Didn't he just get out? He got out in 2019, January of 2019. And here's the deal. His uh, Michael Frankie's brothers were a huge proponent for him to get out of jail. And, but it still took 30 years to get him out of jail. So um, just to kind of back up, the story gets weird because, and, and if you're interested in this whole, the, all the details, you really need to listen to the podcast because there's so much information that I really couldn't cover in just one hour. But he had told his sister-in-law, you know, heads are going to roll. He, when they, when they went to go look at his house, it turned out that Michael Frankie must have been um, afraid for his life because there were guns out he had baseball bats by the back doors. He um, had even mentioned that he thought people were watching him at his house. He didn't feel safe at his house. Didn't and his brother come to visit him? And yeah. it was like late in the night and he's like locked the door and he's like, we well, never can be too safe or yeah. careful or something like that. And the brother's like, that was kind of unusual. He never really thought that. And this guy, he was like an ex-football player, wasn't he? He's yeah. not a small guy. No, but enough that he knew something was happening. Yes. Yes. And so they, when they linked up with Phil Stanford, he actually did a whole piece on this story, but basically it was smothered and the editor refused to run it. And it was clear that there were bigger people up above at play here that were kind of suppressing the story. And so Long, long, long. I mean, this has been going on for 30 years, right? But uh, they also have uncovered that when they started investigating all this, it was going down the rabbit hole of getting the FBI involved. And that would eventually uncover Neil Goldschmidt's secrets. Now, remember, Neil Goldschmidt hired him. He had nothing to do with his killing. Um, but Neil Goldschmidt, now we know, also had a scandal. He had an affair with 
a, what he says was a 14 year old girl. She says it started when she was 13 and she was babysitting for his kids. But I do remember there was some scandal, but I don't remember the details of it. I, what, what year was this? Uh, this was, well, I think, I think Neil Goldschmidt was kind of found out like in the nineties, like maybe okay. two or something. Yeah. But Neil Goldschmidt had a reason to sort of shut down the FBI investigation because if they, if the FBI came in, they would basically probably uncover a whole lot more and uncover Neil Goldschmidt's love of younger girls, because apparently this was not his only there's there's rumors that he was into child pornography as well as and I can't remember the man's name another um another person high up in the Oregon state system that also then later was prosecuted by the FBI and they found child pornography in his um Lake Tahoe home which the lake, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down with this, but the Lake Tahoe home, um, it was interesting. I was listening to the brother talk and he actually hired a psychic at one point and the psychic said, something is happening. In fact, it's happening right now at the, at a Lake Tahoe house. They're talking about what to do and what their plan is. And Turns out that one of these officials had went to Lake Tahoe th- that particular weekend. It also turns out that Michael Frankie had went to Lake Tahoe before his death. And when he came home from this trip, he actually came home after like two days. He was supposed to be there a full week. And after he came home in a, in a huff, like all of a sudden, boom, he was coming home. Um, things were never the same. Like he... There were people that he did not like that had been there, like something in him had switched. Something happened in that Lake Tahoe house that he was not okay with. And he was a very, seemed like a very moral guy. Like, look, here's right, here's wrong. I'm not about corruption. I'm not about a good old boy society. Neil Goldschmidt, I should say, was not at the Lake Tahoe house. I do not think that he was involved in the um, killing of Neil Goldschmidt, but this person that owned the um, Lake Tahoe house was definitely involved and they were trying to keep it covered up. This man also then was raided by the FBI and found to have child pornography. So I don't know how that ties into Neil Goldschmidt. All I know is some stuff was going on there and it was not good. Not good at all. Do you, have you read that or listened to that part yet? I have not. Okay. You know, the more that you talk about this and then the more all this stuff that's coming out right now about all like the child sex trafficking and pornography, like that's something, something crazy is going on. Don't you agree? I agree. Like, I think it's just now all coming out and people or people are talking about, I don't know. There's something, I just feel something's brewing. Oh, something's brewing. I think so. We'll have to talk about that a little bit because, um, I was in Eugene this weekend and I felt like there was a ton of missing persons flyers up in Eugene. Yeah. I've seen some on Facebook too. Yeah. We'll go through that. But so they also interview on this podcast, a woman who as a child, her mother 
would go visit her boyfriend in prison. And apparently you can only go to the prison if it's once a week or once a month. I can't really remember. But she went all the time. And they all knew her. They all, you know, ushered her in. And she was totally fine going all the time. And it's it's suspected that she was bringing drugs and money in back and forth as it needed to happen. And she was also um, intimately, I guess it's not intimately, I guess I should say friends with this man named Tim Rooster is what they called him, Natividad. And as they went through and kind of investigated this case, the brothers, the um, Phil Stanford, the reporter, Basically, they learn that Tim Rooster Natividad was a bad dude. Like he was a cold-blooded killer, and um, his girlfriend and baby mama actually spoke up and said that he, she thinks that Natividad had something to do with it. Like she would not be surprised if he did that. And there's a lot of reason to believe that he was actually the hired killer. There were people that saw like five men running from the place. There's reason to believe that it was not just one man that stabbed him, but it was a group of people. And that really makes sense because um, Frankie was a strong guy. He was going to fight. He wasn't going to go down easy. And it seemingly, they just really kind of did a number on him with the knife. So there is reason to believe that Tim Rooster and Natividad actually did do it. And Rooster's actually dead. So um, that's obviously a good thing. But um, the whole issue with this case is the government cover up. And then Frank Gable, who, you know, he did some heroin, he got into a little bit of trouble, but he didn't really have a record. He, he wasn't a super bad guy. He actually ends up taking the fall for this with the police. He didn't get a lawyer. He took all the polygraphs. He was told he failed them. He didn't really fail them. You know, he went down the rabbit hole of going, you know, hey, I don't need to get a lawyer because even though he did ask for one at one point, um, I didn't do this. So I'm going to be found not guilty. And there was literally no proof that he had done it. There was no physical evidence that he'd done it. Yeah, that's Um, what I was going to ask. Like, how did they even, you know, like I would think if I was innocent and somebody said I was there, there's got to be a way to prove that it wasn't there. Like, like what are the circumstances that he was actually? So it was like a few months after. And what he says is, um, you know, when they asked him about the date, um, I think it was the day before, what, how did he say this? The day before uh, Martin Luther King day or whatever. He's like, I don't know where I was. And he was taking a lot of drugs. He didn't kind of know where he was. You know, this was a couple months later and he had kind of no idea. And honestly, Leslie, as I read this, it was like, oh, well, here's a, here's a guy, here's a dupe. We can just pin this thing on him. We want to get this cleared up. And doesn't have any money. He can't get a lawyer. Exactly. And a lot of people were in on it, you know, like, let's just wrap this thing up. We need to keep this under wraps. And it sounded like a lot of people that were on, um, you know, involved in this either died 
or mysteriously like something happened to them. Yeah. Just a lot of the key players were just gone after a certain time. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, what I, could hear. I think that part of it is that if you're in that lifestyle of drugs and kind of that counterculture, I think, you know, you're living a hard life, but, um, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of people alive that know something. And I do think it's one of those cases of, you know, I'm not always a conspiracy theorist, but I sometimes believe in conspiracies. And I think that um, people in corrections hired Natividad to do this. There was a lot of cross-pollination between the corrections officials and the drug scene. And they had a lot of connectors, right? Um, it was cl It's clear to me that the corrections people were getting money off of these drugs too. And so they didn't want their cash cow to dry up. I mean, can um, you imagine these people are in prison for drugs and, and, you know, they're tr being treated maybe not so nicely, or maybe they're being treated great. I don't know. But then you have the people that are controlling the jail system doing exactly what you got in trouble for. Yeah. yeah. That's gotta be like really confusing. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and then, you know, given the fact that Goldschmidt was doing the things that he was doing, even though I think he had every intention of cleaning up the prison system, he didn't want his secrets to be yeah. uncovered. And, you know, the story, we should do another story on him because this 13 year old girl, well, she says she was 13 when she started sleeping with him and she was the babysitter. She ended up killing herself, Leslie. Aww. Yeah. Like he, she fully thought that he was going to leave his wife and his kids and marry her. Dang. Yeah. So she was never the same. She had a ton of emotional problems over this. I mean, How old was she when she died? Um, I, you know, I don't, didn't write that down. I want to say she was like between 18 and 20. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was super, super, super sad. Um, and Phil Stanford, God bless his soul, you know, he tried back in the 90s and then he tried again in 2004 to release his original report and to add to it, but it was squashed again. And he had um, sworn statements from one of Frankie's former coworkers that could have aided Frank Gable in getting or at least getting a new trial. And it was squashed again. But finally, as we said, in 2019, a federal judge listened to the case and has now said, you either let Frank Gable out of prison or you give him a new trial. Well, they've let him out. And now he's waiting to be retrialed or retried. Probably they said they're going to, but haven't heard anything. I like retrialed better. I know retrialed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I felt horrible for Frank Gable because I, they are, there's actually a live interview way back in the day when, when he was in prison from him. And, you know, yeah, you can tell he's kind of a bad boy, but he really just was like, I didn't do this. And I know that this is all going to work out. And he just seemed like he was naive and didn't understand the corruption that was behind. He, he didn't seem like, um, he didn't seem super 
uneducated. Like he seemed like he was talking very clearly. And I just think he was like, I didn't do this. I don't see what the problem is. Like no reason. He goes, I did ask for an attorney, but, um, you know, they didn't give me one. And, um, you know, I just don't know if he, I don't like, I, if that happened to me, I wouldn't even know how the system worked to know what to ask or what to do. I would probably be in a similar case, but thinking you didn't do it, do it. Why would you need anything? Well, and I think that was his thing. You know, he, he, like you, he asked for an attorney, but obviously either didn't say it in the right way or didn't know that it was his right. Like, I think we all kind of know that now don't talk till you have an attorney, but he knew he didn't do anything. So he continued to, you know, take polygraphs and talk to them. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've watched enough crime shows to know they, they just, if you're going to talk, they're going to keep listening and they're going to keep, keep going. Um, you know, now a lot of things are recorded, but I'm sure back in 18, 1989, those rooms were not recorded. So there's no proof that he actually asked probably for an attorney, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, they're not going to show it if he did. No, exactly. (laughs) And I'm sure that's all been erased. So here's another part of it. Um, After his death, several people have reported that there were people taking boxes out of his shredded paper. So they were shredding them in the offices, I guess. Um, Several boxes of shredded paper out of the prison offices uh, Frankie's offices and several other offices, 23 bags of shredded paper coming out of Michael Frankie's office and the prison. That's weird. Yeah. What, and, I heard something in them burning him in the backyard or what was something was being destroyed in someone's backyard. And, and I think in the interview, he's like, why don't you check there? Did, do they even know each other? Michael. How did they, yeah. How did they tie the two Franks together or Michael's together? Yeah, no, there's, there's no, there's no proof that they even knew each other, but I think that they were saying, look, this was a burglary. So Frank Gable just stumbled upon this car, which has a state of the art alarm system and the alarm never went off and stumbled on the actual owner coming, walking out to the car. And was he from Salem? Is that how they figured? Yeah. Yeah. Frank Gable was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It it just, it never made a whole lot of sense, but there was also, this is the other freaky part. There was also reports of a man in a pinstripe suit and dark complexion walking through the corrections office and kind of lurking and like looking for someone, but that was never followed up on. And actually, as I listened more, it is, um, kind of speculated now that he was supposed to be killed in his office. So that guy was actually the hired hand and he was supposed to kill him in his office, not out of the car, but they couldn't find him. Well, I've heard lots of conspiracy. It was supposed to look like a suicide. It was supposed to look like this. And I mean, we don't know the truth, right? Mm -hmm. No, no. The only thing really we do know is that, you know, Mike or um, Frank Gable has been released now and to all the people that know about this case, that seems like the right thing. And I really, really, really hope that state of Oregon does the right thing and, and doesn't retry him. Um, especially without evidence that just seems crazy to me. 
Well, I think things have changed, so it'd be a lot harder to convict him now, especially if there isn't any evidence. Well, I agree with you, but the weird thing is, Leslie, is that they're not admitting to it. The state of Oregon is still not admitting to that. Mm. Well, things have, like, things are different now. So maybe they don't have to admit to it. They want to just retry him and, like, kind of start with a clean slate. Why wouldn't they just say, hey, you know what? We agree this this case has no merit and we're not retrying him. In a weird way, they did by doing this, by letting him have a new trial. But they didn't do it. It was a federal judge. Um, well, so where was he found? He was, was he in a stairway, stairwell? Yeah, he, he Is that what he said? Yeah, Is no. it possible that he was getting out of his car saw somebody and just started bolting for the stairwell and left the car door open, left everything there. Like what, what people because, believe is yeah. that there was a struggle. Okay. He was getting into his car. There was something like either, you know, somebody yelled at him or something and they kind of moved away from the car a little bit and they scuffled cause he had a ton of bruises and, and mm. scratches and marks. There was definitely a fight and then he stumbled trying to get himself back after after he was severely stabbed and kind of crawling his way back to the building. And then how soon after that did Gable get arrested? It was like two weeks, I think, of, you know, investigation before they... Because you would think like even in two weeks, you may still have residual bruises. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you got into that big of a fight where he, the, the body had stuff on it, you know, the person who attacked him also had stuff. Well, and, and people speculate that because as you said, Michael Frankie was a big guy. He was a strong guy. You know, he was not going down easy that Frank Gable was probably not the guy that was going to bring him down by himself. Yeah. Like the fact that, that, in, in fact, it was a guy named Johnny Krause, actually, that says, yeah, I know what happened. And basically, um, it was a hired hit. And he kind of, like, told them, this is this is what happened. And they never really investigated or, or looked up on it. But, but Johnny Krause says it was like five men. And Natividad was the, was the main dude. He was the kind of the evil dude. He sounded really, like, nasty like cold blooded and, you know, grew up in a really hard way. And um, so that makes more sense that it actually was five people that would have fought him and he would have, he would have given him a good fight, but ultimately they were going to, they were going to conquer over him. And honestly, if somebody is willing to kill another person to keep people quiet, it's almost like a gang. If anybody snitches, everyone's going down. Like, and, and more people are going to be murdered. Like, just exactly. to keep it quiet. So, but as you said, like yeah. a lot of like Neil Goldschmidt, obviously he's been sort of disgraced and ran off into the shadows, right? Natividad's dead. So even if everybody said, yeah, Natividad did it, right? A lot of these people, I gotta believe, have retired from the prison system and all of that. Like, why are people not coming forward and saying, yeah, you know, I do know some of this, I do know what happened or my dad, or, you know, I just feel like, okay, enough time has passed. It's been 30 years. 
Right. So they would all like, and this, um, this guy, Mike, Frankie. what is his name? Yeah. Frankie. I don't know. It's, it looks like, it looks like it's spelled a little different. Yeah. Frankie. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how old was he? Because I'm guessing the people who murdered him is about that age, which puts him about 70 or 80 now. Well, I think Mike Frankie was a little younger. I want to say he was in his forties. But 30 years from there, let's just say, I mean, we're like, you know, you're at the end of your life. You might as well just come forward now. (laughs) Like, and especially with COVID, like you just never know, like just do the right thing. Come out for sure. Or if you know something, I mean, somebody knows something. Right. And this poor man, I mean, I feel horrible for Frank Gable and his family. Like he's been in jail for 30 years. He's lost his whole life. Like, All the important things. And let's just say he gets found not guilty. Does he get money? Oh, I would think so. Okay. I, at least I would hope that he would get a huge chunk and go, although this is not the good time to go do anything, but to have a good life, even, you know, yeah, go considering everything, go. Because who, part. yeah, I don't know. People might remember his name. Maybe not. Not, not if he's in a young office, but. Yeah. Well, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been able to have a life, really. I know, but at least if he did get out and he had some a chunk of money, a big, you know, suitcase full of cash, he could go somewhere and live on the beach and drink margaritas or right. something. No, I totally agree because that, my point is that he hasn't been able to have a life. Nothing. Like, he should go be able to have a life. But I think he would have to sue the state now for wrongful imprisonment or wrongful conviction or something like that, right? Like, Melissa, don't you think that's really scary if our system is really doing that kind of stuff? Yes. Like, we're, like, proven (laughs) or innocent until proven guilty. And that's not true. Like, you can be innocent and proven guilty. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you, I always believed that police and law enforcement, I always believed in them and I always believed they did the right thing. And I never could understand why people were so bitter, you know, or, you know, whatever. But I will tell you that like four years ago now, I was actually pulled over by a police officer for what he considered, um, turning into a crosswalk with a pedestrian. And he was so rude when he pulled me over and I ended up because he said it was being recorded. So I ended up not arguing with him about this, but I honestly had not done what he said. And I showed up at court and he actually had video of it. And I was like, well, nobody told me he was going to have video of it. Like I had no idea. And he lied to that judge He told that judge that I went, that I was turning on um, a, the light had already turned and then I started. And he said that the pedestrian, had she not stopped, would have been hit by my car. That is not what the video portrayed. The video portrayed the light had just turned green and I was three quarters of the way through that, that, the, through that intersection. And my car, like probably two feet into the crosswalk already, when the pedestrian started. So, of course, I was found not, not guilty. Yeah, because couldn't he clearly see that? Like Leslie, 
he was lying. And even the judge said, well, I can tell by this video that the light just turned green and the cars start to go and Miss Schultz has already started her turn. And then he's like, so, you know, officer so-and-so, um, where do you think this pedestrian would have hit or struck uh, Mrs. Schultz's car um, had she just went? And he's like, oh, the front panel. I'm like, no, no way. It was at least six feet from where she was standing. Cause you know, it's, it's at cruise way and lower Boonesbury road. Yeah. Those are big sidewalks. They are. Yes. Yeah. So they're like a six foot sidewalk already or eight feet. There's no way, unless she would have been sprinting, but yeah. she was stopped. I looked at her. I know she was there. She had her phone. She was looking down at her phone. I looked at her. I looked at the traffic and I went. Yeah. And while I was turning, the light turned green. But I feel like now, Leslie, that I have a little more, um, I don't know, fear that you basically are not innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty until you prove yourself innocent. Right. Because they want to cover their ass. Yeah. And I feel bad about saying that because I know a lot of fabulous policemen. I know they do wonderful things and... I don't know. I'm just really conflicted about that. But I will tell you what, this guy was trying to nail me for something I did not do. I love when people can just be honest and just say it. Like, I have no problem telling people when I'm wrong. And yeah. that, like, yeah. I'm just going to tell you now, a lot of things that I probably said on this podcast have been wrong. Yeah. Um, but I would never, like, do it on purpose. No. I would never intentionally give you the wrong information. However, I could have given you misinformation, not, not on purpose. Right. But I would be the first to admit it. And I just, I, I appreciate people when they can admit when they're wrong. Like that officer, clearly by the video, he should have just said, I made a mistake. Right. Or he should have not even got that far because he just wasted everybody's time. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And you know, I am the same way, Leslie. I had... So I had a, a rash of bad luck with my car that particular like two years. And the previous two things I'd gotten, you know, those, um, those machines that like take a picture of you and they say how fast you're going and they yeah. take a picture and say, hey, I, you, you were speeding or whatever. I had had two in like, I don't know, a year and a half. Was it that Bridgeport intersection? No, no. It was uh, one was I was going by Wilson um, High School. Where I was going to Dublin pub actually for uh, St. Patrick's day with a friend. And for some reason they lowered this one section to 25, but the, the trailer was right before the 35 mile per hour sign. And On so, purpose, it, just exactly. to catch you. So my girlfriend was like, Oh, there's a trailer or whatever. And I was like, what? I didn't hear what she said. And she looks over and she sees that I'm going 38 and she goes, oh, never mind. You're fine. It clicked and took a picture. And I'm like, dude, that just took a picture of me. And she's like, oh, you're fine. You were fine. Well, no, I got a ticket. So what did I do, Leslie? I actually paid the ticket, said I was guilty because I was. I was going 38. I did not realize it was 25 before the sign. Now, did I feel a little set up? Yes, I did. Because I was like, wait a second. That sign was there, you know, whatever. But I paid it because like you, I'm like, look, I'm the first to admit I was doing what you said I was doing. So the second one, like six months later, literally. Okay. You know how on the Morrison bridge going into downtown from Southeast, yes. they mm -hmm. lowered the speed limit to 25. 
because okay. remember the construction that happened on that bridge and it was really unsafe. So they lowered the speed limit. Okay. I don't know that, but yeah. Okay. Well, I'm cruising across that bridge. Everyone's speeding. Right. And, and I didn't know I was speeding. I was just going with traffic. I was actually listening to a podcast or a book on tape or something like that. And I was just tootling along with, with the uh, traffic. And again, I was going, uh, 32. No, I must've been going over 35. I must've been going through five cause it was 25. I must, so I must've been going like 35 or 36 or something like that. And it took my picture again. Well, I got this stupid thing in the middle. I'm like, Oh my gosh, are you flipping kidding me? So I go back to the scene. I'm like, Oh yeah, sure enough. It's 25, you know? So I pay the stupid ticket because I'm like, okay, well I was, I was in the wrong. Like I'm, I'm okay admitting that I was wrong. Yeah. This one really made me mad because I was like, I did not do that. I fully knew she was there. I fully looked. She was looking down at her phone. The light was not green. It did not say walk. And I went. So I agree with you. You know, I don't (laughs) intentionally lie or do things deceiving. Plus, I couldn't live with myself or sleep at night. Yeah. Well, my mother-in-law, she is super Christian mega Christian. Mm-hmm. And she would um, never intentionally lie or do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think she does a lot of things, not <laughs> the way I would prefer. But anyway, um, she was driving her mom's car with her mom in the car. So yeah. given, you know, grandma is in like in her 60s. So her mom is like in her 80s, right? Right. And they are, they were going cross country to some family reunion. And um she gets pulled over going like 115 what? and she is like, and you know, my mother-in-law, she's super Christian. She'll tell you all about it, but she was yelling at the officer. There is no way I was going that fast. I was going 86 and not a, like not a lick more, you know, she was yeah. angry and she just let this police officer have it. He was, he's like probably pretty freaked out about her because she could get very passionate and she's a Christian Christian woman. She would never lie, yeah. you know, on and on and on. He gives her a ticket. Going 115, right? And this like hoopty car, like not a hoopty, but like a car that. car. Yeah, it's a grandma car. It's like a probably an Oldsmobile or something. I have no idea. It was probably more of a Taurus. So no, like get this. She's going and and she gets it up to 86 because she's like, I'm going to make sure I'm going to prove that there's no way this car can go 115. And I could be exaggerating. Maybe it was like 107. It was over 100. Let's just say that. Okay. She gets to 86 and then guns it. And what she realizes, the little pin with the little speedometer thing, there's a pin and it stops at 86. So it can't go any further, but she put it to the metal and it flew. And she then wrote a letter and her sent in her money because she left a letter of apology because she had no idea that that car could go that fast. Oh, my gosh, that is hilarious. I'm like, so here's those two grandmas yeah. totally flying down on some country road in the middle of nowhere going 115. Wait, didn't it seem sort of fast? Well, I don't, you know, when grandma stops, starts talking, like you're just like in your own zone. Like uh, you're just like, get me out of here. Okay. So, so this new Tesla, right? This Tesla car, right? I've like pushed it to a hundred. It's fast. Yeah. Like you don't feel like maybe I have control. Maybe I don't. I, I don't know. I feel like if she was going 107 or whatever, she would know she was going that fast. I don't know. 
like when you're in the middle of nowhere, I mean, things are probably, and if you're like in a farmland, there's nothing like flying by you. Okay. Maybe, but I don't know. She apologized. And I, I like to tell that story because she will be the first to admit that she's wrong when she, when she knows she's wrong. A lot of times she's wrong and doesn't know it. So, okay. So I have a funny story Yeah, (laughs) in, in kind of that vein. So (laughs) my father-in-law, we love him to death because he does some funny stuff. He um, had gotten a new belt, okay, from Meyer and Frank. And he liked this specific kind of belt. And so he just went and got a new belt. And, you know, he'd had the belt for like two months. And he put it on. He's like, oh, my gosh, this belt is like thrashed. And it looks like crap. And what has happened? Like, this belt has just been trashed. This is not a two-month-old belt. This is like just a piece of junk, right? So he takes it back to Meyer and Frank. And he's like, I just got this belt like two months ago and it's just destroyed. Like, this is ridiculous. And he's all just, you know, totally, you know, incordial. What is that? Incredulous, incredulous. That's it. Right. Mm. And he's just like irritated. Right. And they're like, well, sir, you know, are you sure you got this like two months ago? And he's like, here's my receipt. Here's my receipt for my, for my belt. And they're like, well, did you run it through the wash? Like, are you sure? You know, they're like questioning him, but they're like, okay, well, here's your new belt. And so he goes home and come to find out, he figures out that he had actually returned the old belt. And like, I could have told you that was going to (laughs) happen. Like, Did it not even occur to him that it could have been his old belt? I do not know. This is the thing that makes me laugh about him so hard is that he was dead pan convinced 100% that this was the You can't blame him. I mean, I've made mistakes, but (laughs) like he had more than one of those belts at one time. So couldn't he have like maybe thought that could have been the old belt or did he think he got rid of it? Like, yeah, probably. I I don't exactly. I don't think I, I think I was laughing so hard from the story that because he honestly looked so bad and so sheepish about this. I'm like, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the belt back? He's like, no, I'm too embarrassed. I Oh my God. That's really funny. That's yeah. something I would do, but I would do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> like buy another one just because like, Hey, this thing's, I don't know what happened. Well, I have done, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> Rona, Rona, um, I have taken things back like to home goods and cause I swore I got it there and it's really like, I don't know, from target or, you know, you shop like everywhere though for your I business. Know. So I, I wouldn't be surprised that you need to put like a little label, like a little dot on yeah. the bottom of each thing. In fact, I will tell you. It happened with one of our listeners. I was oh. in her master bedroom and she and he may actually be, be listening to this. And she loved like this comforter or something. And so I took the the bag back and I was like, hey, can I get another one of these? I don't see any. Do you guys have any? Do you have any other stores? And they're like, I don't think we sold this. I'm like, no, 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 you did. You did. I was just convinced that that yeah. would come from. Well, it turns out it had not come from there. 
But I, of course, didn't have to admit it in front of them. I it yeah. figured it out later when I looked at my receipts and I was like, oh, whoops. It's so <laughs> funny how they know what merchandise they sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, which reminds me, we do need to um, thank one of our new Patreons. Her name is Rhonda. I believe she's your friend. Oh, yes. And she has joined us on Patreon, and we want to thank her and give her a big shout out. Thank you, Rhonda. Hey, Ron. <laughs> hey, girl. Love her. That's pretty exciting. Yes. Um, okay. So who killed this Frankie guy? I think Natividad Rooster. Natividad, well, he sounds kind of shady. Yeah, totally shady. Well, not- when I was looking at that, I was like, Feliz Navidad, because that's what it reminded me. I was like, how do I say this? And I was like, it just reminded me of Christmas. I know. And here's the deal. I think that some people need to be prosecuted for this. They need to figure out not just who killed him, because if Natividad did it, fine. Who well, let's hired- prove that this Gable guy didn't do it. And then they're going to have to do a little bit more research because somebody has to be accountable for this. Exactly. Because the brothers, Frankie's brothers, aren't going to let that just slide. In fact, okay, so I looked up Kevin Frankie to see about having him on because he's been very vocal. He's been, he was on the podcast and all of this kind of stuff. And he is still chasing down Polk County and Marion County and all that. And he is right and left on his Facebook, like posting stuff that they've done wrong. See, and they can't do anything to him because it would be too obvious. Yes. Exactly. So he he's kind of like Protected. he's got a he's got a full deck. Yeah. In a sense. He just needs more cards. Right. Yeah. You know, he's got like a what a small run? What a small small flush. Yeah. He needs like the full and he just needs a few of those characters and you know who you are. Flush? To, yes, something. We I don't know cards, but how little we know about poker. <laughs> I'm like gin rummy. All I know is there's somebody out there that can help the brother. Yes. Let's figure this out. Let's get Gable, you know, back home, yes. give him a big load of money and let's just figure out who really did it because I, the guy was onto something clearly and he needed to be silenced apparently. Yeah. But I just think Melissa, this is just one little piece to a very big puzzle. I agree. It's not just Oregon. I think it's kind of everywhere. And it's really scary because I think there's a lot of players that are in the system that have no idea. Yeah. But then there's some that like play the game and then there's some that don't. Mm -hmm. And they kind of test them out to see like the guy that went to the Tahoe house and he came back a change man. He wasn't playing the game. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't going down that way. Yep. He wasn't playing nice. Like, (laughs) so I feel like, you know, he probably knows something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Good. Let's just say like I had some, I would say some friends and then I have some really cool people in my life. Don't you, you agree? You have amazing people in your life. Like I know all kinds of, <laughs> I was going to say weirdos. <laughs> I know, which is like me, right? Like they're like me. And I know, I don't know. I just, I think I'm very um, excited that we have this ability to show them off to everybody and maybe one of them can help another. And so I think it's exciting. So we're going to talk to the family of Michael Bryson, who has been missing since the morning of August 5th. He went to a rave 
in the Hobo Campground area east of Dorena Lake, which is near Cottage Grove, and he's missing. So is that Oregon? Where's Cottage Grove? Yeah, Oregon. It's down by Eugene, actually. And they've been looking for him ever since. And I just heard about this case. I had no idea. Um, but again, you know, Leslie, that's this is one of those stories where I hate to say it, but you know, people go, Oh, he was doing drugs, you know, it was a rave, and um they don't get the help that they need. And, you know, it's not the fault of probably law enforcement because it's way out in the middle of nowhere. They could probably throw a whole lot of money and resources at this and really still struggle to find him. Um, but we're going to talk to his family tomorrow and um, do, maybe we'll just even drop it early so that we can get the word out. But if anybody knows anything, I mean, we must have a lot of listeners. We do have a lot of listeners in Oregon. And if anybody was out there, saw him or sees him, you know, maybe he is still alive and somewhere, um, you know. Maybe he's just hurt somewhere. Do you know any of the details? I do not know any more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get those tomorrow. Um, He's been missing since about 4 a.m. on the 5th of August. Did you share it on our Facebook page yet? I don't think I have. He also has um, a heart tattoo with hands on his rib cage, a geometric bear on his back, on the back of his arm, a lion tattoo on his shin, an elephant tattoo on his shin. Both shin tattoos are geometric and he has a nose ring and facial hair. He's super cute actually. Hmm. He's got cute little dimples. And- Regardless of situation, we don't really care. No. He's somebody's family member and he yeah. should come home. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe there's a way for us to at least get his picture out. Maybe somebody remembers him or seen him. Like, who knows? But he is a person and he deserves to be found. Absolutely. Hey, Melissa, what kind of bras do you wear? Oh my gosh, I wear handful bras. Tell me why you love them so much. You talk about them all the time. And I just want to understand what is so great about them. Well, I love them because they're comfortable. They are not constricting. So I can still like breathe and move around. And I like to do yoga too. And I like to stretch. And I do not like a bra that is just like sucking me in so that I'm so flat and can't breathe. I love the patterns. I love the different styles. Right now they have this really cute like teal color and they've done a couple patterns in it too. And they have this wavy one, which I can't even remember the name because they have absolutely adorable names for these things, but they have the adjustable bra, which is their classic. They have the closer bra, which is great for people like you that have a little more than a handful. It's got the two little hooks and then it zips up. And my favorite um, pattern right now is the ripple effect is what it's called. And then I love the double down, which is a really cute new style that they have. And I love their leggings because I think they made them for me because they're so long. And they have a cute camo legging that I wear all the time. 
I have those too. Brandy gave me a pair. Oh my gosh. I, I love it. I have to say, I have a, like a bunch of handful bras. I could not find them. And I found them in my daughter's room. She wears them all the time and they are so cute. She almost could wear them as swimming suits. In fact, I think she does. Like she'll sunbathe yep. in them because they are so cute. And I love when she wears like her tank tops, but you can see the bra strap kind of through it because they have the really cool crisscross and different designs. You can adjust them however you want. And uh, I just think they're very flattering. Yeah. And you got your first one. How, how's your first one? I love it. No, I, I had them in the past. And then, you know, for me, I needed a little bit more. And then they came out with this new one with the extra zip in it. And it really makes a big difference. And I love that it, it actually gives you two, not just one. And that's always been a problem in the past. You just get this like one mono boob. I actually still have two when I wear this new design that you had given me. So thank you, Melissa. You're so welcome. Well, we do still have a handful code as I recall. We still do? I think so. If not, we'll get That's it up. That's like 20% off. Why aren't people buying these off the shelf? I don't know. I don't know. They should be. What is that code? Melissa, that, tell me. That code is Salon Sleuths. Gosh, you're putting me on the spot now, Leslie. I think it's just Salon Sleuths. If you yeah. go to the coupon code, it's just Salon Sleuths. Like, yeah. yeah. But, but you have to spell Sleuths right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm part of this podcast and I spelled it wrong when I made your first tank top. It did not. I was thought that was so stupid of me, but how do you spell it, Melissa? You spell it S-A-L-O-N-S-L-E-U-T-H-S. Go to handful.com. Check them out. You'll be a fan for life. It's not too late to sign up for our Suzanne Jockett show. Find the link on our Facebook page.